Welcome to self-checkout. Place your bananas in the bagging area. And no item in the bagging area. And no item in the bagging area. Take your receipt. Hey, David. Hey, Connor. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm... How are you? I've been better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, so, guys, we are doing a an episode on um, farm workers, particularly migrant workers. Yeah. Um, we chose this topic because when this one releases, it's going to be the episode that comes right before... Uh, a certain day uh, in this country, and that is Election Day. Right. Um, this election is a pretty important one. Right. Um, so before we start, guys, um, just a reminder, you know, if you are voting in person, please go out and vote. Um, have a plan. If you are voting by mail, by the time you're hearing this, podcast, hopefully your ballot is already in the mail. If not, stop listening to us and put your (laughs) ballot in the mail. Go hand it in person. Go tackle City Hall. Yes. Um, Also, if you are in the Philadelphia area um, and, you know, reach out to us as well and we can double check that I'll double check this information, but um, you should be able to go to City Hall room 140 to request a mail-in ballot in person, fill it out, and hand it directly to them. It doesn't count as a um, in-person ballot vote. It still counts as a mail-in ballot. Um, the mail-in ballots, as of right now, won't be allowed to be counted until Election Day. Um, but yeah, just, you know, vote. It's really important. Yeah. Um, it's just really important, guys. Right. Well, yeah. So we picked this topic in particular. Um, and while the scope of uh, white supremacy has kind of shifted to be more towards, um, you know, our country's historical and kind of like unceasing subjugation of black people, uh, and that's sort of that what's in the forefront right now, um, you know, four years ago, a campaign was run almost exclusively, you know, well, heavily on building a border wall yeah. uh, with Mexico. And there, and, and we, we decided to kind of tackle this topic because it, I don't know, in the, in the last few episodes, really kind of since we started, the theme has centered around um, how much David and I love food and also how inescapable um, the systems in place um of manufacturing and distributing food throughout the world have fallen on the backs of workers. Um, and a lot of people um, have, have suffered due to the, the, like, the globalizing economy of commodity goods. And that has created a system in which people are forced to flee uh, their countries to seek work in more wealthy countries. <laughs> And then be um, and then be punished for it, and then be subject to massive misinformation campaigns about 
the dangers of them crossing said border mm-hmm. um, to uphold a system that uh, our economy is based on too, which creates this this really bizarre double negative and all these systems of denial too of like these we are reaching out for these workers exactly. to come here like and yeah I mean like it's it's ridiculous like it yeah uh yeah there's there's really there's I don't know we're gonna get to a point to this in this episode towards the end where we start um because we don't want to have it just end on this bleak note where we start but we we're, we're going to have to reach a, reach a point where we offer some solutions and unfortunately um in this, the solutions are kind of too big. Um, mm-hmm. So there are some pragmatic ways that you can help, but um, and we're going to try. Like um, you know, when this when this episode airs, I, I really want to post some information and resources because you know by people and organizations that are more adequate, uh, uh, more um, capable than we are, um, that you can you can go to. Um, but um, but yeah, this is a big one, mm-hmm. and we also want to acknowledge that. We're two white guys talking about um, about something that we're not necessarily as experts in, but in the spirit of this podcast, um, it's David and I researching a topic um, to educate ourselves and to check it out and like really uh, know more about the world that we live in and the, and the food world and where things are coming from. So um, neither of us claim to be experts. We're both amateurs. We enjoy researching this stuff uh, for our betterment, and we like sharing it with, uh, with all of you. So... Um, if we make any mistakes, please, like you know, we're 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 in this together, and um, and we're certainly trying to uh, not cause any harm in the process. No, th- th- this is like I mean, th- for, I noticed with this 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 topic, there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of reports out there, but there's also a lot of like not reports, right? <laughs> and, and that's like it, there's definitely major issues here. Um, we just want to know what our where our food comes from, um, and we'll get into that a little bit for sure. But you know, this is about learning who we are as people, um, and learning about what we put in our bodies and what consequences that come like what what at what consequences like why is this banana so cheap? What's the consequence? Um, cause if you're not paying for it, someone is. Yeah. So, um, just gonna, we're going to go ahead and just dive into it. There's a lot of numbers in this. There's a and, lot and of numbers. It, and also like, so I don't want to just keep on apologizing throughout this entire episode, but I do want to acknowledge that like some of the, like there's a lot of reports, which inevitably means a lot of data, which means not necessarily all, um, the same data. So there's, there's going to be some like variations in numbers here, but, the, yeah. but, um, we're doing our best. We'll also try to um, cite our sources as we go along. Yeah. Um, okay, so where does their food come from? Um, this is just an NPR article I read that basically was discussing where our crops and our food grow come from. So first of all, what I thought was interesting, and this is just, this is we're, we'll get into migrant workers in a moment. Um, more than two thirds of the crops that basically, um, fuel a national diet all over the world come from somewhere else. 
and often it's from somewhere very far away. Um, so right now, just you know, as Americans, but as anywhere in the world, your food that you're eating, it's a global food system. Right. So, you know, in the U.S. particularly, like we have uh, soybeans, which um, come from uh, I wrote it down um, East Asia. Uh, we also have maize, which does come from Mexico as well as. Um, and so those are two of the main U.S. crops. Um, but then in other places, um, they're, the crops that they're eating are mostly coming from other places. Um, you know, that's, that's not every place. You know, there are obviously exceptions. Uh, North America, Northern Europe, and Australia are the most dependent on foreign crops. Right, yeah. And that's because they don't have the biodiversity. Um, there are some places that are a lot less dependent, um, and that is South, South Asia and West Africa because they have such biodiversity. Mostly are growing what they're eating. Um, so, you know, but basically to just put it into perspective, um, food is something that is, we all have to eat, but these crops aren't something it's a crop that you're eating most likely you have another culture to thank for so yeah it was just an, I thought it was an interesting article and kind of concept of this like it is actually well that pulls it together that really sort of I mean it buttons up the thing that we talk about all the time about North American like, I <laughs> like American, uh, like just American idealism, like white supremacy, um, like American exceptionalism. This idea of things, like just this ownership of things from all over the world that, like, we consider to be American, but like, so few of them are historically and like biologically ours. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's interesting too. I like, so you say, so those, those, those crops originally came from other places in the world Mm -hmm. and continue to come from other places in the world. And I know that there's something, you know, like, like we're not growing our own bananas here, you know, like in, in the U S. Um, but, um, it is interesting how, um, okay. So like the globalized food like food system that we have is really like it's fueling our economy and it's destroying our economy at the same time like it's creating these these markets where like strawberries are grown in in the u.s and that's like that's the one thing that you keep if you start research, researching um if you start researching Migrant workers, mm-hmm. a, like a lot of times, it comes it comes to that fruit and vegetable crops, mm-hmm. orchards, and strawberries are a big one. Driscolls is a famous one. I mentioned it in an early episode. I have some information on the one one thing on them. Good, I'd yeah. love to hear that one thing. Yeah. I'd love to hear thing. anything I can about Driscolls. Literally, it's a small thing, but a big thing. Oh. I'm so <laughs> right. small for a reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't warn me. Just blast me with it when you got it. Yeah. So, um, uh, fruit is uh right so 
it's not just grown in the U.S. Um, it's grown to be cheaper in other countries as well, like China. China grows a lot of strawberries. So the solution for an American company that grows fruit is to hire migrant workers. So, like, our economic policy, and this is kind of why I preempted this with, like, this is too big for us to solve with, like, just, you know, boycott Driscoll's, which still, please do boycott Driscoll's, but the economic systems in place kind of create this closed loop where, like, you have these workers who need to be paid. They can't be paid because their farms in Mexico don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So they do what humans have done for 500,000 years, and they move to where yeah. there is food and sustainability and work. That is literally what humans have always been built to do. And we're capable of walking 2,000 yeah. miles to do and like literally like we're capable of it it's dangerous as hell and it's a deadly it's a deadly deadly path to take but um okay i'm i'm already getting scattered because let me let me read some figures i'm sorry yeah please say so i'm gonna list a bunch of numbers (laughs) um but this is um so this is a report that i read from may 2016 so keep in mind this information might not be currently relevant but it's not that long ago so, there's a study that showed that the average salary of farm workers, this isn't migrant workers, this is like an actual farmer, right. um, is 75000 a year, the minimum be- salary of being 66000 a year, which mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure what that means, um, but that's sort of so the generic av- like average. Um, like in numbers, what that means? Within the numbers of basically... More than we make. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what that um, means. So, but that's, that's just that's just basically all the numbers put together. So, within those amounts, half of these people are getting lower salaries, and half are being paid more. So, in the lower ten percent of these people, are making less than thirty five thousand a year, and the top ten percent are making one hundred twenty six thousand a year. Oh, damn! So big difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so that average is like when you take a closer look at it, it's it's pretty mm-hmm. it's pretty unbalanced. It's yeah. very unbalanced. So this is just this like the the farmers, the farm. You know, the, the this is these are not, farm owners. These, these are, farm are owners, American. Yeah. yeah. So then, within when you look closer, the farm worker, so lower end in the U.S., they're making, and this is in the U.S., fifteen to seventeen thousand a year. Mm. Yeah, for an individual, and this is where I got kind of confused, and it made sense later when I watched a different report. Actually, watched something. This one I was actually reading. Um, so for so fifteen to seventeen thousand a year for an individual, twenty to twenty four thousand for a family. Right. Um, so just to put things in perspective, apparently there's a federal property level that basically what is considered property poverty. Poverty. Yeah. Um, for a family of three, that level is nineteen. 19- thousand seven hundred ninety a year right for the record i rounded up a few of those other numbers that one i did not 
dude, exact. So 25% of all farm workers had a family income below that level, which makes sense because they're making fifteen or 17000 a year. Right. Um, so it behooves our nation mm-hmm. uh, and the white supremacist policies yeah. the, like, and systems in place to keep um, those crucial workers to our economic system not having legal status mm-hmm. in which they would be protected by our government. Yeah. Well, and, and this is this is also the U.S. rates. Right. Certain companies that still have farms in Mexico, a lot less. <laughs> okay, yeah. Do you have oh, those figures? I do have some figures. Um, so this is from a different report. This one actually was a, from a Vice News um, report that I watched. So Mexican farm workers may make about $7 an hour in the U.S., which is basically the number that I read earlier. Um, But the flip side, if they are working in Mexico, it's about $7 a day. Jesus Christ. So within the the report that I was watching from Vice News, this is mostly based in Mexico, so I didn't take down a lot of notes because we're trying to mostly focus on migrant workers here uh, in the U.S. I will say that there are, in Mexico, it's essentially slavery, um, what is going through, what happening to these people. Um, A lot of them are, they're not being paid on time, and if they are, they're not being paid, obviously, fair wages or what they were guaranteed or said they'd be paid. A lot of them, um, because the farms are away from villages and, and, and metropolitan areas, they have to live on this farm. And in order to live on this farm, they then obviously have to buy food or whatever. And sharecropping. So and the farm will own, have a little store. Mm-hmm. So they're not getting paid much. Then people will have to go pay the prices that this farm sets at their store. Yeah. The farm is... Tail as old as time. Yeah. Making all that money um, a lot of the times because they're said that they're, they have, like, medical insurance. They're holding on to their documents until the end of the season. God, that is the insidious... Mm-hmm. That is the scariest mm-hmm. shit to me about labor. Um, that happened That happened um, in Trump Tower in <sighs> Dubai um, with Pakistani workers. Yeah. They would, would just hold on to their passport. Indefinitely, too. <laughs> There's yeah. no season there. It's just they own you now. Yeah. But he just put his name on it. He doesn't. He doesn't see the the um, you know day to day operations of it. But anyway, this is an apolitical podcast. We just want you to vote. <laughs> we don't have any <laughs> yeah any opinions mm-hmm. on that. So in the same vice news. Oh, well, can I talk about one more thing about the company yeah, store? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, so this is a little bit unrelated, but like just to like make this clear this is like this has been going on for centuries um and it's been going on for centuries in the united states and um i'm a really big fan of this podcast called behind the bastards and if you want to listen to an interesting tale about this about um the birth of workers rights and unions he has an op- episode about the um america's second civil war that you haven't heard of and it was an all-out war and they put in you know it was, it was relatively small it wasn't the same as the civil war but it was a war between the government and miners um who were fighting against really unfair conditions similar to this where there was um it, I, i'm not going to go into it too much but um 
the concept, I just want to focus on the company store. When you start somewhere, if you move somewhere to work, you're usually showing up with just about nothing. So there's this, this like inherent debt that you already are starting off with and you're living off like before you get your first wages. So you're spending a lot of the season trying to get out of this hole that the first few weeks you got yourself in just by sleeping and eating. And, um, and it's gross. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what I, so this rice vice article made it clear what they meant by for a family. So it literally is that it's like these people, um, will basically be getting in trucks. They don't know where they're going. Let's go in these fields. If they're doing just like one day labor, um, and a lot of times because they're being paid so little, um, they don't have access to childcare. So the children are literally going with, and what are they going to do while they're with their parents? They're going to pick fruits and vegetables, wow. produce, peppers. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these, these workers are being paid by the bucket. So yeah, if, if a kid helps out, it's, it's not necessarily that the parents are trying to make their children be child workers is that literally they don't, there's no other there's no option. option. Yeah. Um, in this same video, like there was one woman who like literally had her children like locked up while she was working for the day because she didn't want anyone to be, you know, messing with their children, you know, to keep them safe. But in turn, they're then literally like padlocked into a, a room. Um, I'm going to say one more, one more and then we kind of, we can discuss some stuff, but, um, there was a protest that happened, um, and I forgot to write down the year. I'll get that when we do the, uh, price check. Um, but it was a protest against Driscoll. Hmm. So, um, they just wanted better, better wages. So $7 a day was what they were being paid. Do you know how much they were asking for? $8 a day? Seven $13 a day. How much? $13, $13 a day is what they, they wanted. Right. Um, I don't know if that's what they got. Uh, the report didn't say it. But, I mean, I feel like $13 a day is way more than reasonable. <laughs> that is slave labor. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, they're it's, asking yeah. for, they're, they're asking for, you know, what, um, you know. I mean, it's more than um, prison labor. It's what they should make, be making at least an hour, bare minimum. <laughs> for that kind of work? Yeah. For that kind of work. Like, oh, my God. Oh, man. Oh. So and all, all the, that's just that. I keep getting bottlenecked in my mind, just so you know. Like, when I keep saying, oh, man. Like, there's sometimes, like, I, that's a noise that I make when I have nothing to say. That's not right now. So so that is, and that those are the numbers for when they're working in Mexico. So there has been, like, agree, agree, uh, agreements and arrangements. So, so there can be day workers to come to the U.S., and so, you know, obviously, what sounds better, $7 a day or $7 an hour, Right. the $7 an hour is obviously more money. So that is part of why we have people wanting to go do this day labor in the U.S. This is, this, and this is the hard part because, like, I don't have, like, an internalized understanding of globalized food economy, so it's difficult for me to, t- like, you know, I can do this research, but, like, without without that, like, 
it, you know, it, I keep on running into my limits, so it's difficult. But um, the the hard part, and the thing that Seth Holmes talks about in his book Fresh Fruit, Broken Bodies, that I just re- read, um, that like he makes very clear is that um, he he does a lot of like philosophical like defining of terms mm-hmm. and and uh, talking about things in very academic language, which I appreciate because. Um, I don't know. It's just it's very clear and informative, um, but he talks about um, this like symbolic violence, and he talks about this violence, violent language, and this subtle language that we use all of the time in terms of um, describing workers as making a choice. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that that's something you know. To go back to politics, it's like right. These people are breaking the law. These people are criminals. These people are crossing the border to break the law. And the truth is, is that. People breaking this law by crossing the border to come to America are not making a choice when that choice involves walking two weeks in a desert, almost starving to death and dying of dehydration and getting bit by rattlesnakes and having no medical care once you get to the place where you're going to work for six months in the blazing heat hunched over. That is not a choice that you're making when you have an adequate choice at home. And the global food economy, getting back to that, when you have countries like China and the U.S., wealthy countries who have the means of industrialization to kind of, like, keep these – like, when you can remain competitive and produce on this large scale in in ways that countries like Mexico – and then, like – Guatemala can't either. Like you, it, within Mexico, you have migrant workers moving to Mexico because it's worse off in Me- uh, in, in Guatemala than it is in Mexico for a lot of farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, ev- like, it's an endemic problem mm-hmm. throughout the world that continues to trickle down. But um, the idea of it being a choice, I think, is so. Um, It takes the it takes the burden of responsibility off of the society that it's falling onto. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It takes it takes any question away from um, Americans to just be like, well, what? You break the law, you go to jail, or like, oh, you're locked up at a concentration camp on the border, you broke the law. Um, when here's a, here's something here's something. It's actually not. The, first of all, the vast majority of migrant workers that are here are here legally. Yeah. They're from Mexico. They're Mexican citizens, and they're here legally yeah. because we have a system in place to bring them in yeah. because we're, it's, it's well acknowledged that we can't do all of this farming without Mexican workers. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's this open secret. So shutting down the border has never been a reality. It's, it's that whole thing stupid, like... You know, they're, they're you know, coming here taking their jobs. No, this is a job that we can't, because of the, first of all, the rates that we're paying, we can't convince our people to work these jobs because they're not getting paid enough. In 2011, um, there was almost a half a million unemployed workers in North Carolina. There was um, 489,000 unemployed workers in North Carolina. And the Growers Association listed um, 65, uh, sorry, 6,500, so uh, 6,500 available farming jobs 
like the American Growers Association, um, only 268 American workers applied. Um, 245 were hired, so almost all of them. You know, like that's a pretty good rate. Like yeah. out of 268, 245 were hired. Like what other? Yeah. Ha- like when when you get rates like that, um, only 163 showed up, and only seven workers finished the season. Uh, on the other hand, uh, 90% of the job um, were, they were finished by the Mexicans who came in and took the like literally took took the job like yeah like, that were unfilled. Ninety um, percent of them fi- uh, finished the finished the season, um, getting paid like ten to twelve dollars an hour, and um, like yeah, nobody's taking nobody's taking these jobs um, from anyone. Yeah. Um, that said, I like, and I keep going into like theory and stuff here into and like and I, but I still think it's also kind of a problem to view it like. Well, who else is going to do it? Because we're, it's still like objectifying Mexican laborers as a product and as like a resource, and that's why it sort of gets a little bit muddy. When I'm just like, this is a much bigger issue where we need to create a global solution for this global problem. Because yeah, well, the, the like, fact the fact is that no one should be subjected to this. Right. If we're not, if we are not allowing our countrymen to face this, to deal with this. If, if this isn't good enough for us, how dare we say, fine, we're just going to do this to somebody else. Right. Like, that's effed up. Right. And I, f- I found myself doing that, where I'm just like, I, I like, uh, yeah, I'm like calling myself out, where I'm just like, what would we do without Mexican migrant workers? But like, it it becomes really really muddy, and actually it has a really it has a really muddy history too, um, where like before the U.S. Border Patrol, mm-hmm. this was going on, obviously like this has gone on forever, but um, before the U.S. Border Patrol, this is post um, post Civil War. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, southwestern and southern uh, farmers. Um, and northern farmers too, but I think transportation just, you know, wasn't what it is now. Yeah. So a lot of them did stay closer to the border. Um, we're benefiting greatly mm-hmm. post Civil War for obvious reasons, um, with the influx of of Mexican migrant workers. And um, you had this you had this really bizarre dynamic where the U.S. Border Patrol was viewed by farmers as the liberal northern Yankees, basically, preventing them from slavery. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's hard to look back at this and identify with anyone in the scenario. <laughs> like, identify with any view on it. Because um, you have the farmers exploiting the workers, and then you have the abusive border patrol dehumanizing, murdering, sexually assaulting and um, and uh, dehumanizing um, the the laborers who who cross the border, um, and like essentially all sides are wrong, and it's really hard to view this in any sort of historical perspective that like breaks the chain from them until then until now, mm-hmm. because now 
there are a lot of stories about about farmers who employ migrant workers who are great people mm-hmm. and you know i'm not i'm not like again this is systemic yeah um like it's it's not a moral judgment call but it is it is just like how do we help yeah what do we do <laughs> oh there's yeah it's and the thing is with with this whole entire thing is you know a lot of these programs you know they're they're from our government right reaching out um I'm going to mispronounce this possibly the Bracado program, Bracado? Uh, Bracero. Bracero. So this is a program that was in, um, started in 1942. Mm-hmm. And essentially it was between the U.S. and Mexico and it was to bring in workers. This time because of, of the war, um, at this present time like in the U.S., there were a lot more American farmers and right. people working on the farms. It just, it was more of a thing and it's become less of a thing. Um, and so when the war happened, the U.S. needed laborers. Uh, and so they reached out to Mexico and the concept was that the, U, that the U.S. was looking to employ people and these workers were looking for employment with the goal of improving their life. Um, which is not necessarily what happened. So they came to the U.S. and the the farmers basically kept the pay very low, um, and they controlled the pay. Uh, they controlled the hours that were worked and the the transportation to and from work. So it was it's very controlling yeah, environment, highly guarded. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them too. Yes, and the pay was extremely low. Um, as we've already looked at some of these numbers, I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, but a lot of them weren't even being paid in a timely manner. Really. So you're being told you'll get this much money, and then, but when? Right. Yeah. So there was a thing, a couple things actually that happened before the Bracero program. Um, that are pretty interesting. One was in uh, in 1846, um, you know, the Mexican-American War. Yeah. <laughs> when when we invaded Mexico and um, became, you know, kind of <laughs> drew the map that we now live in and consider the U.S., which um, if you're at home right now or like, you know... Um, Whatever you're listening to this on a phone or whatever, like Google it right now. Just yeah. look at an old map of uh, the United States pre-Mexican American War, um, because California, New Mexico, like it went up into like Texas, it went up into um, Oklahoma. Even the border of like the southern border of the U.S. was a little bit further north. Yeah. It was a lot further north. Uh, it was like fifty percent of the landmass of current of current Mexico. Like Mexico was fifty percent larger. And it was all U.S. territory. And um, uh, President Polk, I believe, decided that he just wanted more America um, because we're an empire. And um, so uh, he went – so basically like just invaded 
um, the way that Nazis do, um, <laughs> at Mexico City, and held it ransom, um, and, and until until uh, Mexico just forfeited basically everything north of the Rio Grande. And um, that's how that's how America is America now. So if you're Texan, mm-hmm. or if you're from the Southwest, or if you're a Californian, um, you know, that was all Mexico. And Mexicans living there were still there. They just became yeah. Americans until uh, I think it was the Great Depression. I think it was Herbert Hoover mm-hmm. decided to deport millions of Mexicans. You know, who were then generationally American at that point. Because we're talking about, like, 1920s. God damn. That's, like, um, like 70 years. That's crazy. So, uh, yeah, and a lot died. Like, sent on slave ships, like, uh, you know, over the, over the ocean, through the Gulf. Um, you know, marched out into the desert. A lot of them died. Um, we... We're just, like, unequipped to handle that sort of, like, mass deportation. Um, so all of this happened before the Bracero program, which, like, happened a couple decades right after that happened. Um, we decided, like, hey, yeah, we could use your uh, help <laughs> because we're in a global war right now that's going to uh, result in a lot of wealth for us once it's over. Um, so if you could just, like, come work in our farms for not a lot of money... Um, we would just really love that. And then, oops, war's over. You got to go back and you're a criminal now. Never. It's just... Yeah. It's so, dis- it's so disrespectful. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure, and this isn't my forte, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure that, like, um, Mexican stereotypes are why marijuana became illegal, too. Well, I don't like... It's neither here nor there, but... Yeah, I know that there's some, like, like the, some of the terminology is because of Mexican words. Like- right. Well, it was, I mean, it's not why it became illegal. It was um, William Randolph Hearst had a lot of um, money invested in cotton production, and hemp was a major, a major um, competitor. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, and he owned newspapers, so he controlled the media. Um, so fake news, he, um, just started printing stories that like Mexicans were smoking cannabis and going nuts and, uh, uh, like, you know, um, you know, just accuse him of what brown people are always accused of, um, which is like assaulting white women. And, uh, so, um, you know, marijuana became, became illegal so that he could make more money off of cotton. All of the, the, like, marijuana propaganda of, like, it's crazy. Well, even the word marijuana, nobody called it marijuana. Marijuana, I think, was, like, uh, I think was, like, a slang term for tobacco or, like, and I I might be getting this wrong, so. We'll we'll, we'll check it out. But, yeah, it was, like, a, it was, like, a Mexican slang word for tobacco, so, like, just associating it with Mexico. Um, all right, that's a little, that's a little off topic, but, but it shows, it shows, like, the the relationship that the U.S. has always had. Well, it's using the sources we have, you know, the media and all of that, to basically shape the way people are thinking and seeing and perceiving others. Um, that's kind of a form of brainwash. Yeah, hundred Cons- percent. And how much? And it takes a lot of work, considering 
what the hell is the American dream if not traveling thousands of miles to better yourself in a place where there should be opportunity for everyone? So, like, how much work does that take to rob people of that same opportunity? Like, you need to create a giant brainwashing campaign in order to demonize a group of people and some, like, you know, delegitimize their struggle, delegitimize their methods and means of getting here. They did it the wrong way. I'm getting fired up. I'm really sorry. You should. I mean, like, (laughs) I mean, the, the fact is, is that, like, America is supposed to be this this country that you know we are supposed to be this beacon of hope of you know having our open arms and we welcome people, but we don't. No, like it's we welcome you if you look like us. And there's, I mean, there's it's such it's such BS. I mean, the fact is, like you know. Yeah, we're, we're two white guys. I'm, but I have a brown mom, like right. of undisclosed origin. Of undisclosed origin, I just and the fact is, like, people perceive me the way they want to perceive me, and that's fine. Like, it's gonna, I don't, whatever. Um, and people perceive my mom the way they want to perceive her. Um, people. You make these snap judgments and, you know, I don't understand why, okay, so my mom's brown, whatever, so she and people who look like her have less of a claim to be here when my other side of family are more white, they have more of a claim to be here. And yeah, like... One of them, like, I, my grandma on my dad's side can be traced back to the American Revolution. Right. Um, but then my, my mom's side, my, uh, because she's mixed, um, my grandpa was related to a U.S. president. Mm-hmm. So, like, which, like, but that doesn't give me any more claim to be an American than someone who saw that there was an opportunity for them to come here to better themselves. Especially when you look at that, the history that we just spoke yeah. of. Like, there are millions of Americans who had great-grandparents who spent generations as American citizens mm-hmm. after the border shifted. And then you have Irish immigrants, Italian immigrants from Europe from who are like first generation who are like, you know, we, we have people who are literally 75 miles away from Texas yeah. who like have history with America or who, who live like, you know, in like Juarez, you know, and cross the border, like are essentially American. Like they're not like, they don't have an association with this country. They don't have a right to be here. Like, they are more American than my goddamn grandparents were. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Um, Some of these, and this is just going to be like slightly off topic, but with the border control, and because this is obviously something we don't deal with here in Pennsylvania, uh, it is something that my family deals with. Um, because my mom and step- stepdad um, 
live right by the border. And I know that, like, I apparently, like, my brother and my stepdad got stopped the other day by the Border Patrol. And they were fine. They were like, whatever, like, it's Border Patrol. And I was like, I was so angry. It's like, why are they stopping you? Right. Like, the only reason why they're stopping you is because Carlos, my stepdad, his he was born in the U.S., but his parents are both from Mexico. So he's, you know, his first language is Spanish. Um, he is definitely like a Mexican man and he looks it. So, so border control is allowed to racially profile. Yeah, no, they are like bullshit. Yeah, no, it's disgusting. And there are people who live in Mexico who are from Mexico that are lighter skin, lighter complexion. Um, Hey, whatever. As long as they're not dark skinned, right? You can't just bullshit. Yep. Like, Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was just- yeah, this is a really frustrating episode <laughs> because because like the wall that I kept running into is like, what do we do? Is it a boycott issue? Because like boycotts do feel like the thing yeah. is that boycotts historically have worked. Um, I think that in the in the world of like the proliferation of goods, boycotts are a little mm-hmm. bit di- more difficult than they used to be. Like you used to really be able to like get the thumbscrews on a company by like yeah. people just refusing to buy it. But there's so much diversification and also like like a monster like Driscoll's, mm-hmm. I cannot buy them. But like, what is that really changing? And and the thing that I kind of kept coming to is that one of the biggest issues that there is for migrant workers is just lack of available resources, yeah. um, specifically health resources. And like, obviously, like they're putting their bodies through this backbreaking work, um, literally have a scarf or a face mask on, mm-hmm. regardless of the pandemic, they have it on because they are breathing in carcinogenic, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's berries, like, you, just like brings me to like the holistic, you know. It's just like I eat healthy fruits and vegetables every day. You know, like us as white Americans are very proud of the fact that like we consume fresh fresh fruits and vegetables, and um, you know, make sure to rinse off and scrub off the pesticides before we yeah. do that. Like, there's human beings picking those, covered in fresh, just yeah. dewy pesticides that were freshly sprayed on them um, and are exposing themselves to that constantly, not to mention the fact that they are bent at the waist all day long in really, really hot weather. So um, there are resources, thank God, of doctors and um, networks in place. And one that I came across, um, which seemed to be, and I'm going to, I can research it fully. And this is one episode that I really do want to have a whole lot of Mm -hmm. like supplementary information to go along with it, just so you can have some more resources, places to donate information that you can get and like um, ways that you can take action towards helping uh, individual workers. But there's the um, migrant migrant clinicians network. And I'm going to post a, um, post a link to that. Um, but that um, that had a lot of information, and that's where I got a, a, a lot of the stuff that I never got to because I ended up getting kind of emotional here. But like, um, they they help provide a lot of resources in ways that like I couldn't even think about. So like, because communication and transportation have gotten to be kind of easy in this country, you have atypical migrant worker populations. So. Um, it's not just California, and it's not yeah. just berry picking. You'll have um, Mexican migrant workers um, in salmon fisheries in Alaska or in dairies in Wisconsin, 
in environments um, and situations where there's not necessarily easily where the language barrier becomes a mm-hmm. real danger um, because there's not necessarily linguistic equivalents yeah. to the situations that you're finding yourself in, um, which I found really interesting, terrifying, and um, like also relieved that you know these people are these people are working to sort of alleviate some of these things. Yeah. Also, you have like intra migratory patterns too of workers moving around the the, the country um, requiring resources just to um, kind of sustain themselves while they're here um, okay so I want to tell you a quote that I had heard please and this is from um, this is from a migrant worker um, this is from that vice um, report that I had watched uh, and this is I think I think I just, this quote wasn't really, really love this. Um, most of the fields, most of our fields are organic, but that doesn't mean they don't hurt us. Mm. So, and this really, really struck, struck me. So these workers are working mostly in organic fields and there's a lot of restrictions for organic and it you know, takes money to be labeled organic. Um, but as somebody who's been working in grocery stores for so long, so many people come up and they are asking, is this organic? Right. I want organic. Certified. Want organic. Organic. It needs to be certified. certified. It's got to be, I just want organic. And I can't tell you, I don't think I've ever had someone ask me, how are the workers treated? Right. And I think that's so having these conversations, bringing this to light, you know, this is, we're not the only ones that know, like there is reports, there's like studies. We have to change this. And we as consumers need to start asking, how are the workers being treated? Yeah. What are the workers being paid? Is this product, am I paying more for this because it's organic or being paid more for this because these workers were given a fair hmm. livable wage where they treated right where they're were they pre- being provided basic human rights yeah. and that's what we have to start asking like there just has to be a movement it's just it's compassion you know yeah like so, and that and that comes from and that like that needs to come from a deeper place than like you know to be a little bit cynical mm-hmm. like organic is pretty buzzy yeah it's trendy let's make this trendy it makes sense to care for your health and the health of the planet and I understand that um. But, like, that compassion for the workers needs to come from kind of a deeper, mm-hmm. deeper place than, yeah. like, um, than those than those fears, I think. Um, yeah, because even when you look into things like we've talked about, too, like fair trade coffee, mm-hmm. which, like, you know, is spotty at best. You know, like, those yeah. things can be really difficult to trace, too. Like, fair trade, you're still talking about money. Yeah. You're still talking about cash exchanged. But um, people have been paid a fair amount. 
throughout history to do really terrible things. Yeah. You know, that they... <laughs> you could pay me a lot of money to do something I, I, I don't necessarily want to do or could kill me, you know? Uh, you know, and that that's uh like that's a cynical approach but it's it's um there's there's a broader currency more than more than money that i think we need to deal with this uh deal uh deal in here you know um and and that's and that's kind of uh that's kind of human compassion and i think um uh, we just have to start caring about what we eat it just you know there there had there has been this movement for organic and, you know, caring about what we're putting in our body, but we need to really be caring about what we put in our body. At what cost is this coming to us? You know, we care about blood diamonds. Let's care about, you know, blood strawberries. Right. Like, let's start caring. Yeah. Because, um, I, mean, on, I mean, honestly, like... We need to like, companies accountable. If you, like, you know, and if, and if it is, like, organic, and, like, if that's the thing that hits you, like, I mean whole other topic is the environment, but I, like... I don't really care about organic as much. What's that? I don't care about organic. Yeah. I mean, I do care about organic. I think... We're going to have to hit a point where we realize, though, that like... Organic is also problematic. It like, it really does have some issues, like just that whole dry certification, which I don't want to go into, obviously, right now, but I just am... It, we need to start... The fact is, like, if people care so much about that stupid certification... Why aren't people asking right. more? And that's that's really like people care about how the chickens are treated when they're laying eggs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, why is it? People want to know the like name of their cow, like dumping that they're blood eating the, like the cow that was the cow that was like slaughtered, yeah. half alive. Yeah. For their steak, they want to they want to know if it had a name and like you know. Yeah. <sighs> but so, they yeah yeah do they want yeah. I just, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I'd really like to, uh, I don't know. It seems, it seems, it seems kind of dire, but like, I, I, I would like to kind of see a world where we're comfortable only, where we're comfortable not, not eating strawberries year round, yeah. where we're comfortable, um, you know, it's, as Americans, we we don't like to wait, but it is nice to look forward to something, you yeah. know. And um, eating um, eating seasonally is a way you can you can kind of help. But like you know, just to stop, like slow down the the, the gears of this like mon- monster of um, of industrially produced produce. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't, did you have any resources that you wanted to provide for anyone for information? Yeah, um, uh, the Migrant Clinicians Network was one that, that was one that I, um, I wanted, I uh, wanted to promote. There's also like, I, again, I think I don't want to list them all here, but, um, ACLU has, um, has a list of immigrants' rights, which I think is really important to read. Um, I didn't want to just read them all right now, uh, cause it's more of a discussion, but I'll post a link to that as well. And, um. In the meantime, I'll I'll find some other stuff that we can put up. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, just uh, make sure to vote. Yeah, vote, 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 vote. Just vote, guys. It's really important. Um, 
yeah, I did, there was like, we'll go. Yeah, we can't. There's more we could go into, but we don't. We're not going to do that. Um, so we'll have a price check on this one that will actually be, I think it will be like election week. Yeah, maybe what day before? Right. Day before. Um, and then we're gonna. We don't know what's gonna happen. Um, and so the following episode, um, we just thought it would be just maybe just go something a little bit lighter. Uh, talking <laughs> yeah. to you really, it really like. If, I mean, in this, this too much emotions. Yeah, we're gonna. I, I think it's you know it'll be getting cooler. It'll be the fall. Um, regardless of what happens uh, in the election, I think that um, it would be nice to have a centering, um, uh, like a centering day, making some nice recipes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> spending some, some time with some self-care um, and kind of, you know, the, the year's kind of coming to a close. So we're going to try to do some pick a time period. We're going to do 1950s <laughs> and try to find some fun recipes and Maybe some gross recipes. David's just jello. been wanting to make a savory jello mold I for so long. Savory jello mold, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, he tried to like wedge it into this political like, <laughs> issue, and he was just like, "I think it would just be good to make a a ham a ham jello." Yeah, you... I just I want to see what it's like. <laughs> I want to see. Right. Yeah. Well, so, um, guys, thank you again for checking in. Sorry that we bummed you out. Um, I'm not, <laughs> uh, you know, if you haven't already, please take the time to, um, rate and review us on iTunes. Um, yeah. please, you know, follow us on Instagram at the self-checkout podcast. Selfcheckoutpodcast.com. Uh, well, we have a website. Yeah. Selfcheckoutpodcast.com. Um, it's a really great website. Kind of put a lot of work into it and it looks really good. <laughs> so... Um, I tell them that they'll expect more. Yeah, it's we really appreciate you guys, and um, Connor, I appreciate you. Appreciate you. I love you, David. You're I my love friend. You too. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.